0: Well, earlier in the week when we saw the list of how many children needed to be baptized, I said, well, maybe I should just come up and do a benediction and we'd just call it a day, but you're not going to get off that light. Is it just me or are potholes in Atlanta getting worse and worse? Okay, it's not just me, right? Uh, I live in Sandy Springs and and there's a pothole on Roswell Road that. It feels like it's a magnet for my car, and I've hit it so many times, I I don't even wanna go that way. But my other good option is Powers Ferry, uh, which is right now no better. And then when I get to Sandy Springs, then sometimes I'm forced to take a detour because of all the construction going on up there. That's the way detours work. Some of them we choose for ourselves, and some of them are forced upon us. Spiritual detours, work much the same way. Sometimes God initiates a divine detour where we're going in one direction and he moves us in another direction. And on other cases, we're following God's path, but then for whatever reason, we decide we don't really want to go down that bumpy road. And so we go on a detour on our own. Well, this morning, I'm going to ask you to look with me at the story of Peter and Cornelius, one of the great divine detours in the history of the church, an event that was so significant that uh, the writer of Acts, Luke, spent the better part of chapter 10 and 11 telling the story. Of course, we're familiar with Peter. He was the rock on which Christ was going to build his church. He had been instructed to go and make disciples of all nations. And he had been preaching and seeing Jews come to faith. He'd been sharing the gospel. He was really the ultimate insider. Cornelius, on the other hand, was not a Jew. He was a Roman centurion. He is what in Scripture is described as a God-fearer, meaning that he was attracted to the Jewish religion. He believed that the God of Israel was the one True God. We're told that he and his whole family were devout, that they gave to those in need, that they prayed to God regularly. He was a religious person, but because he was not a Jew, he was still considered an outsider. These two men, the insider and the outsider, Peter and Cornelius, are brought together by dramatic visions. Have you ever had a vision? Or have you had a dream that was so vivid that you felt like you needed to act upon it? All of us that uh, spend a little time preaching seem to have a recurring dream that we're not prepared. And a few months ago, I had one, and in this dream, I dreamed that I... it It was Christmas Eve here at Peachtree, and I arrived and I... I, I could feel that I was late, and I asked Chuck Roberts in the dream, I said, what service am I He said, well, you're in the one that's about to start. And so that didn't, that didn't make me feel any better. And he said, and we're processing in. I'm like, oh, so I, so I run to the back out here to the narthex, but of course when I get there, everybody has already processed up to the front, and I can see Chuck up here talking. So I'm pretty much in a panic and then Chuck comes back and and he says, well, you've got to go up and pray as soon as this song's over. So I'm thinking, well, I can't just walk down the middle aisle, people are going to see me. So I go downstairs and I go through the halls and I come up and I'm right outside this door over here and I decide what I'm going to do is when the song ends, I'm going to walk right through the door right up here, people won't even notice it. I'm standing there in my robe and I look down and I'm barefooted. And I can tell the song's about to end, so I run back into the robing room, and the floor is covered with all kinds of crazy colored socks, like Rich and Chuck and Andy wear. And so I sit down in the middle of the floor in my robe and start trying to put on a pair of those socks, and I woke up, and that was the end of my dream. Now, of course, I had to come in the next day and tell a story, so on my birthday, uh, I get a I get a bag with two pair of crazy socks and a note from Chuck saying Happy birthday, sleep well. So, so so today I wore these. <laughs> so so I wanted to make sure I was on my game. So I wore a pair. <laughs> Peter and Cornelius' visions didn't exactly involve crazy socks, but they were pretty crazy. Cornel- in Cornelius' vision. It said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now the following day, Peter uh, goes up to the roof about noon, he's hungry, and he begins to pray. And there he has this vision where a sheet is being lowered from heaven, and it's full of all kinds of four-legged animals. And the angel in his vision says, "Kill and eat." "Surely not, Lord," Peter replied. "I have never eaten anything impure or unclean." The voice spoke to him a second time, "Do not call anything impure that God has made clean." Now, it's important that we realize just how big the diff- the, the big the separation was between the Jews and the Gentiles between Peter and Cornelius. The Jews, of course, knew that they were God's chosen people, but in a lot of cases, uh, instead of humbling them, uh, it led them to feel that they were God's favorites and they were somewhat superior. In fact, they regularly referred to Gentiles like Cornelius as dogs. They thought of them as unclean and immoral. And they would never enter one of their homes or eat with them. They would never sit down with them because of their unclean food. They would never touch any of their unclean things. Better, better just to stay away from them. And of course, you can imagine if that was the Jews' approach to the Gentiles, the Gentiles didn't like the Jews very much. It's hard to have a positive impression of someone who thinks of you as an unclean dog. As Peter is wondering what his vision means, the Spirit tells him to go with three men who are being sent to him. And short, shortly, three men that Cornelius had sent show up and, and they take Peter on a journey back to Cornelius' house. Two men in the first century, one an insider and one an outsider, being drawn together, by the Spirit across religious, racial, and social barriers. The world that's described in the book of Acts is pretty crazy. It's violent, it's chaotic, but still in the midst of that, God was taking people on these divine detours to carry out His purpose. Thousands of people were turning to Christ at the same time that we read that Stephen was being stoned by a mob. Paul, the greatest persecutor of the church, has a radical conversion at the same time that believers are being thrown into prison and beaten. In the midst of all the confusion and conflict, the gospel was spreading. I'm sure Peter and Cornelius could not imagine that in just a short time, Christianity would be the official religion of the Roman world. In some ways the context of the first century reminds me a lot of the context of the 21st century. A world filled with turmoil and violence, clashing of cultures, religious persecution, political upheaval. As an example, I recently read that there are 65 million displaced people in the world today. 65 million mostly women and children wandering the globe, resulting in all kinds of economic strain, cultural confrontation, political upheaval, and stroking our fear of terrorism. Desperate people like a Muslim refugee named Muhammad that I read about in the British press. His journey began in the Iranian city of Shiraz. He left Ar- Iran and He made his way through six different European countries by truck and by train and on foot. He eventually entered the United Kingdom seeking asylum status, only to be arrested. He was put in a detention facility at Gadwick Airport, waiting to possibly be deported back to Iran. Just one of millions of people caught in limbo with an uncertain future, in the 21st century. In the midst of the chaotic world of the first century, Peter embarks on his divine detour. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So here we have Peter, the ultimate insider in the home of Cornelius, the outsider. This story is sometimes referred to as the conversion of Cornelius, but I think probably more significantly, it should be called the conversion of Peter and the early church. I say that because it's through this experience that Peter changes his theological perspective and his outlook on what he's called to do. Have you ever experienced a divine detour? Have you ever had a change in your theological perspective? What I mean by that is, has your understanding of who God is and how you relate to him and the world ever altered? I don't mean has God changed, but is how you understand him grown as you've experienced life? I think that happens for a lot of us when we take our faith on the pothill, p- pot, pothole-filled road of life, following Jesus into the world. We see and experience things that force us deeper into Scripture. To try to make sense of it all. I think that's one of the ways we can know if we're actually on a divine detour. Because a divine detour doesn't conflict with Scripture, it actually conforms more deeply to how God has revealed himself through Scripture. I think that's what happened for Peter. What we see in Peter is what we often see in ourselves. He knows the Scriptures. He knows that God has promised to bless the nations. He heard the Great Commission with his own ears. He knows it all intellectually, but knowing it and living it out, well, those can be two different things. He's read the Scriptures and he's heard the sermon, but now he is actually being able to face up to what it means and all that might entail. When you live it out, when you integrate your life with what you've read, in the real messiness of life, it sometimes requires a divine detour. Because following Jesus is often countercultural, and it's often scary. When following Jesus gets scary, that's where many of us take our own detour. The detour of fear is currently a very popular option. Let's be honest, we are such fearful people. We're obsessed with our own personal security. Just like in the first century we're afraid of people that are different from us, people that might be a different color or practice a different religion or have different values. And in our fear we avoid them. It's part of our fallen human nature. Psychologists refer to it as social identity theory. It's when given the slenderest criteria, we decide who's inside and who's on the outside. It could be nationality, politics, religion, race, language, or something important like Georgia and Georgia Tech. Scripture tells us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. But it's hard to love perfectly when you avoid those that you're called to love. Like the Jews in the first century, we see ourselves as the insiders and we avoid mixing with the outsiders. Fear diverts us from the people that God is calling us to be. It's the detour that in the end can lead to hate. But Peter would not be diverted by fear. He did not conform to the Jewish cultural norms, and so now he finds himself in a house full of unclean food and unclean people with impure customs, and a funny thing happens he's converted. Then Peter began to speak I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now realize, once I was blind, but now I see. I realize that the gospel really is for everyone. I now see with my own eyes that Jesus is the connecting point of human history. He's the magnet that's going to draw all people to himself. But it's at this point that many of us take another detour, While some of us allow fear to detour us from people that are different, others of us, we embrace diversity. We accept everyone as they are, but in the process, we're indifferent to their need for Christ. We choose the path of least resistance. We take the cultural detour of indifference. The highest value from this perspective is viewed as being tolerant. We want to play it safe socially, so we will keep our faith private. We will ignore the parts of Scripture that clash with our culture. We will create for ourselves a nice Jesus that we can believe in without any of the negative consequences of the real one. It's easy to imagine how this situation might play out in our environment. Cornelius would visit, I mean, Peter would visit Cornelius' home. He would eat with him, he would enjoy new ethnic dishes, he would celebrate the fact that Cornelius is a good religious man, and then he would just leave, proud of himself for embracing multiculturalism, but indifferent to Cornelius' need for Christ. His highest priority would be tolerance, embracing Cornelius' version of religion, acting as if it really doesn't much matter anyway, that Jesus is just one option on a big buffet of spirituality. But God did not command us to tolerate our neighbor. He commanded us to love our neighbor. As N.T. Wright says, tolerance is just a cheap parody of love. Sharing Jesus is loving your neighbor as yourself. It's wanting others to experience the same grace that you've experienced. In fact, I would submit that failing to share Jesus is not loving at all, that it's really selfish. The story of Peter and Cornelius makes a crucial point about indifference. And if you don't remember anything else I say today, I hope that you will hear this important nuance in the story I now realize that God does not show favoritism and accepts people from every nation. If the story ended there, we could settle for being indifferent, for the viewpoint that Jesus is not really necessary. However, the story doesn't end there because Peter goes on to explain the gospel. He goes on to share the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that He is Lord of all. And when the people in Cornelius' home heard the gospel, they were filled with the Spirit. Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Peter did not settle for the socially convenient detour of simply celebrating their differences. No, Peter took... The bumpy road that leads to abundant life in Jesus Christ. He helped Cornelius move from just practicing religion to experiencing grace. Too often in our environment we make a binary choice. We either choose to avoid people that are different, seek to exclude them, or on the other hand we embrace them but we choose indifference and settle for just tolerating. And neither one of those is the path to love. The new reality for Peter was that God did not show favoritism. He accepts people of every nation, every color, every language, and every religious background. But at the same time, they all need Jesus. Earlier, I was sharing the story of a Muslim refugee named Muhammad that was in a detention facility in London. Muhammad said that in one of the countries I was traveling, I ended up living in a pastor's house for six days where I heard the gospel message from him. In those days, I always asked God to help me to not stray from the truth, which for me was Islam. But the man asked me a question which started an inner battle in my mind. He asked, do you have peace and freedom in Islam? While in detention, another man, ironically, one of the guards, shared the gospel again with him. And in jail, Muhammad said, every day was challenging and beautiful. Challenging because I didn't know if they would deport me and beautiful because I was in the Lord's hands. I promised the Lord, if you will release me, I will serve you. Well, he finally was released, and thankfully, he was allowed to stay in the United Kingdom. This is a picture of Muhammad today, the Reverend Muhammad Egdadarian, the curator of the Liverpool Cathedral, one of the iconic churches in the United Kingdom. I had the opportunity to talk by phone with Muhammad this week and he shared with me his inspiring story of going from being a Muslim refugee to an Anglican priest, and how people along the way could have either chosen to avoid him in fear, or they could have settled for the indifference that he needed Christ. But thankfully, they took the risk, the messy road that led to his abundant life in Christ and the impact he's having now in Great Britain. This story is happening all across Europe. Refugees that have never been able to hear the gospel unfiltered are coming to faith. Trinity Church in Birmingham used to have 150 members, and has grown to over 700 in the last two years with refugees coming to Christ. The Austrian church says that 70% of its growth Is coming from people from a Muslim background. Just as terrorism is a reality, the other reality is that thousands of people are finding Christ. What if in the 500th year of the Reformation, God is once again reviving the churches in Europe in a new way? Once the migration of uh, Europeans took the faith all around the world, including here to us. What if that's now happening in reverse? Well, that would be just like God, to do the unexpected, to fly in the face of conventional wisdom, to raise new life from something that's dead. The truth is that we live in a dangerous, tumultuous world, but no more so than the world of the first century. And 2,000 years later, Jesus is still accomplishing his mission. He is still changing people like Peter and Cornelius and Muhammad and you and me. So what about us, Peachtree? Are we open to being converted like Peter? Are we open to seeing a new reality? Are we willing to fill these seats with people that are different from us? Are we willing to risk our reputation to extend the hope of Christ to a skeptical friend or neighbor? Are we willing to overcome our fears and push through our indifference to follow Jesus wherever he leads? Are we open to a new reality? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this old story and how it still rings true in our lives today. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the possibilities of what you may want to do in and through our lives, that you would lift our imagination to see your providence in this world and what you are doing in the midst of all the heartache we see every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.